glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Exodus chapter 21, beginning verse 1. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve thee. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out for free. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also... Bring him to the door, under the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, if you would, to Deuteronomy, if you're already there, give me a moment to get over there. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. It's dealing with the same law in a second portion of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 18. It says, And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee, And serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress, and that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today, and it shall be... If he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear under the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee. For he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. Again, the same law given in two different places. And what we find here in both, what's common in both, is uh, you can go through six years of of duty of service. We'll talk about that in just a moment, who this servant is. And our focus for this message is going to be on the servant and his relationship to his master. Uh, But but let me back up just a a little bit and say this. In, In our culture, and I think it's very important for us to understand this, there is a belittling of and, and it seems to me too light of a word. I like the word consecration better than the word I'm going to give you, but there is a belittling of the, con, the concept of commitment, meaning I'm going to be in something and it's going to be part of what I do. I'm making a decision that is for the rest of my life. We like to have decisions that have exit doors along the way. So, for instance, my, my parents uh, used to speak of um, uh, giving marriage counseling. My dad was pastoring, so they'd talk to the, 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 the couple that was prospective for marriage, and they would say, I want you to picture marriage as a room, and if it is, I want you to tell me how many doors are there in the room to get out. Now, man has created multiple doors, but God has not. God's view of marriage... and and this is biblical, you can check this in your Bible, this is not a personal, uh, a personal ideology, this is what our Lord and Savior taught, that marriage in God's viewpoint is till death. So in God's economy, in this matter of marriage, there's one door out and that's death. You better enter with wisdom if that's the way you're going to go about it. And we've, we've created other ideas and ideologies. May I say this, when it comes to the home and family, many times there is a... Uh, there is a lack of heartfelt, you know, this is what I'm going to, we talk about friendship in Sunday school. Many times the reason friendships foil is because I'm, I'm going to try this and if there's something in it for me, fine, but if it gets too difficult, I'm done. People don't keep their jobs because they start in the workplace and they say, well, you know, I don't like the boss, so I'll find me another job. They join a church and they say, well, I don't like things there, I'll find another church and in the United States of America, I suppose you could call it a luxury. There's a lot of options available to people for doing what they wish, but that can't last forever. And I'm just trying to say, when it comes to the level of commitment and consecration that discipleship to Jesus Christ requires, many are happy to know that He came to save. They're happy to know that He died for our sins. But as it was 2,000 years ago, I think it is today, Many believed, but some would not confess him openly because they feared the Jews. Some believed and followed for a while, 
But when it comes to discipleship, this is a lifelong decision. It's a decision that's made, and when it's made, it's made once and for all. I want to ask you, when's the last time you made a decision? You said, that's the decision, and I won't change until I die. It's in, I'm in for life. And what I see in both these texts is it mentions the servant saying, I am going to serve my master, and the next two words are forever. And they said, because, and there was a motive behind that, I love my master. I've said this, and this is kind of the heart of this message. Duty, duty will keep you in the service of the Lord for a time, but it's love that's going to keep you there forever. And I'm not talking about cheap love that you put on a Valentine card. I'm talking about biblical love. And again, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. So I want to point out four things about this servant in both of these texts that I, I hope is helpful to us this morning. I know it will be if we'll listen to the Spirit of God as he works through the Scripture. I had this thought before we get into the, the message this morning. I thought, you know what? You can read Scripture without hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. But you cannot hear the voice of the Holy Spirit of God away from Scripture. He will speak through the reading, meditation, and preaching of the Bible. So I hope you'll be attentive this morning to what he has to say. Let's consider, first of all, about this servant in Exodus 21. So it's a, it's a Hebrew servant, so he's called in verse 12. And he's talking to the master. He says, if thou buy an Hebrew servant. So what a man could do is he could buy him an employee, if you would, an indentured servant is what we would call that, for a six years. But if he was a Hebrew, if he was a fellow countryman, kind of be like saying, you can hire and put a man under contract to work for you for six years. But if he's a U.S. citizen, you have to release him in the seventh year. You can't keep him. And so other Hebrews, you can buy a Hebrew servant. He can purchase him to serve you. You'll be telling him what he's going to do every day. You're going to provide lodging and food for him and clothing. That's part of your responsibility. You're going to provide him the funds to do that. He works for you. You take care of him. And you can do that for a Hebrew servant, and he can serve you for six years. But in the seventh year to release him, he's to go free. What kind of a person would have to be bought? I want us to think through this. What kind of a person would have to be bought by another man for him to serve? And it's a man that is... One man is dependent upon another man. The man that's bought is dependent upon the master to provide him labor and to provide for his needs. He is a man that is dependent upon another. And so I want you to see the dependence of the servant. In, the, in Leviticus 25, 47, it's referencing, we won't turn there, but it references when a Hebrew uh, was sold to a stranger, meaning someone that was not a Jewish person or a Hebrew, the Bible says if they wax poor and a stranger buy them. So the context of why one man would have to buy another is one man gets in desperate straits. He's poverty-stricken. He cannot provide for himself, so he's got to be purchased by someone else. This is where our analogy for us as Christians begin this morning. You know what? When we got saved, when you, when you came to the realization, I need salvation, you realize this, you needed Jesus Christ to do something for you that you could not do for yourself. If you believe that your righteous standing before God this morning is something you've done for yourself... You yet need to be saved. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it says, are you righteous before God? Will he welcome you into heaven? Do you have eternal life? So oh, I believe I do. Well, why? Well, I've been a pretty good person. I try to be kind. We hear this all the time. I've been a pretty good person. I, 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 we listen with, with compassion, but the fact is when somebody says, I've been a pretty good person, I want to say, what measuring stick are you using? Because when we start using God's measuring stick, none of us, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 12, and it's the truth, none of us is good. The, the point of salvation is when you realize salvation is not something you obtain by doing something for God. Salvation is something that is obtained by God doing something for you. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a wage. Salvation is a gift. You know what? When this man was bought, he didn't pay the price for his own purchase, did he? He did not pay his price. And we're going to speak tonight, God willing, on, we're going to start talking about the Christian and his or her body. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, in verses 19 and 20, I want to turn there and read that, that if you're saved today, you've been bought, you've been purchased. We were slaves to sin. A um, person may say, not me, I've never been a slave to sin. If you've not been born again, you're still a slave to sin. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, whosoever committeth sin is... The servant of sin. Someone says, well, I manage my sin. No, sin manages us. 
Now hear me now, that's the way it works. And if I can't see it that way, I'm still blind. So I hope you'll keep listening. If you're here this morning and you've never allowed Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, you're still a slave and a servant to sin. But 1 Corinthians 6 says this, and from here forward, I'm really focusing on those of you who know you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven because of what He has done for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Question mark. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are what? Bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. When a Hebrew servant master bought a Hebrew servant, who'd that servant belong to? He bought him. man says, I don't want to go plow in the field today. And the guy says, but you're my possession. So well, I don't like that. We are against slavery. I agree. But that's the way it worked. And he said, that's his possession. May I say, there's a lot of people who this morning say, you know what, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a real historical figure. And I believe he really died. And I really believe he died for the sins of the whole world. I I guess I count myself a believer. You know, there's a difference in believing about and believing in. I just want to say that before we move forward. You can believe all the facts about Jesus. You can go through a religious ritual if you please. That is not salvation. Salvation is one putting their trust from their heart in the Word of God that Jesus Christ is living and is the only way of salvation. John 14, 6 still says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. May I say this? If Jesus is not the only way of salvation and the only way to God, the only way to heaven, then he's a fraud and a liar. He is either the only way or not a way at all. Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for the salvation of man from sin. Sin, its final destination is hell. Salvation's final destination is heaven in the very presence of God. And the only one that can get me from hell to heaven is Jesus Christ. Now, many of you here this morning say, Praise God, I know that's true. I remember when I put my trust in the Lord Jesus to save me. Praise God. Then you know what you are this morning? You've been purchased. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, meaning the saved person, the, the, the person who's been made righteous was bought and the price that was paid for us was the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. I've been bought. When I asked the Lord Jesus to save me, I wanted out of what I was in. I was a sinner by default and a sinner by choice. And I wanted him to save me from that. I knew where I was headed and it was not to heaven. And I knew why I was headed there and that's because I was a sinner and deserving of it. And I knew who could save me and that was Jesus Christ. And I believed from my heart that if I would call on him, he would hear me and save me. And he did. He bought me. Here's the thing. That's where we come in the message today. Here's a servant. He's dependent upon the master. He could not free himself. The master had to purchase him. Perhaps some, some slave owner would buy him and work him rigorously. There were laws governing how a Hebrew master had to treat the Hebrew servant. And so then he's been bought. He is a purchased possession because of his poverty. Here's a man that's in poverty. You know what sin does? It makes us poor. It robs us of our spiritual health. It kills us spiritually. It robs us of our mental abilities. It robs us physically. Sin is a killer. But thank the Lord, we had a master who bought us, and he bought us with his own blood. May I say this? There is a service to the Lord that's done in duty. But may I say that is not to be continuous. The law said a servant may serve you because it's law for a time, but I won't allow that to continue. Six years, God says six years, six being the number of a man, so I'm going to allow him to serve you through duty. It was his duty, the servant, to serve the master for two reasons. We already mentioned the one, because he's his possession. He purchased him. He would be off and dying, perhaps starved to death in poverty if his Hebrew brother had not bought him. But the second reason it's his duty is because, you know what servants do? They serve. Can you imagine if the waitress brought your... Uh, drink to the table and brought, brought your food just exactly the way you ordered it and everybody stood up and clapped. Yay! And they said, why are you clapping? Because she brought our food. She'd say, sit down, let me do my job. It's what I do. And I say this this morning, if you're saved, you know what you are? You're a servant. 
You know why servants should serve? Because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. He bought us. It's His right. Listen this morning. It is the right of Jesus Christ to tell me what to do. I praise God He saved my soul from hell. He bought me. But because He bought me, He has the prerogative to do with my life what He pleases. He wants to live me, let me live 80 years. That's his business. He wants to call me home at 40. That's his business. If he wants me to be married, that's his business. If he wants to tell me who to get married to, he did. I praise God. That's his business. If he wants me to pastor, that's his business. If he wants me to sit on a pew for a while, listen, that's his business. He bought me. I'm not my own. You're saved this morning. You're not your own. There's something to serving God and just realize this is what I do. Says, oh, what a noble calling. I didn't call myself to preach. That was his business. I just supposed to do what I'm told. Oh, you preach the gospel to people. Some of you give gospel tracts out and witness to people. We're just doing our duty. Is that not what the Lord Jesus said? So the servant, after he's done all those things that are commanded him, is supposed to say this. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done that which was my duty to do. We think of this. We read stories of Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson, men who answered the call of God to go to foreign lands. And we think of them as heroes. You know what they think of themselves as? We're just doing what we're told. God told us to pack up and leave, take the gospel to some other place. How could we do anything else? It's we're just doing what we're told. We think that basic Christianity is heroic Christianity. No, it's just our duty. It's just our duty to spend time in God's Word. That's, that's the one who bought us. We ought to want to know Him. The one who gave His own blood to buy us out of sin. We, it's just our duty. It's what servants do. It was His duty because of His, of His position. He's a servant. It's a duty because He is the Master's possession. And it's His duty. I'd say this. He had a second duty. They're, they're kindred. They're in the same, they're in the same family. You know, when we get saved, we're born again. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Shouldn't we want to be involved in the Father's business? And the same family. It was a Hebrew with a Hebrew. I said this, I've preached this message, uh, when we went to Council the other night, this same text. Uh, it, it, it ought to, we ought to understand that when, when I serve a, a, my Savior, I am contributing to God's work as a whole. May I say this, you go to work in Bonner's Ferry at one of the local businesses and you give it your best. You are helping your, your employer. But you know what? You're helping everybody. Because you're helping the place be the kind of pro- productive place it ought to be. When a, when a child of God just plugs in and obeys the master, yes, you're doing your duty and you're helping the master get his work done, but you're contributing to the family of God as a whole. Can I flip the coin and say when you're not plugged in like God wants you to be and you're not obeying the master and not serving from a ready heart... It diminishes from that. We're to each do our part and so forth. So my point is, first of all, we see the servant's dependence. He's in poverty, so he must be purchased. We see his duty. It's his duty because he's a Hebrew. It's his duty because he's a servant. He's been purchased for the purpose of serving. That's what servants do. And so then we as well are saved to serve. Romans 12.1 says, and we'll touch on this again tonight, that giving our bodies a living sacrifice is what kind of service? Reasonable. So I remember growing up in meetings and there's preaching and emphasis on surrender your all. Let God do with you with your life what he wants. And boy, a handful of young people go forward and say, tonight I surrendered for God to do whatever he wants me to do. And everybody kind of like, ooh, a major thing. And it is major. But do you realize it's the duty of every blood-bought Christian to do that? It's just reasonable. It is only reasonable that the one who laid down his perfectly sinless life in the, in the midst of the strength of life, he laid it down to save me. I would still be on my way to hell if Jesus had not died for me. And if you're saved this morning, that ought to do something in your heart to say, it's a reality, it's not a, it's not a fantasy, it's not a fairy tale. I had a destination away from God eternally in an eternal flame, that's the Bible. But Jesus Christ took my place. Shouldn't that do something for us? Then we say, oh, I could never let God do with me whatever He wants. Why not? It's just reasonable. He gave His all for me. He's not asking me to die for Him. He just wants me to live for Him. Yes? And what happens is we often maybe don't really believe we were headed where we really were. Or we've forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. Have we forgotten? You know, I'm going to say this. When you got saved, you had to be convinced completely in your heart you were going to be judged. Part of salvation, the Spirit of God reproves you of sin, of righteousness, and what's the third one? Judgment. 
That's not a popular message in our day, but it's still the Word of God. God is still a righteous judge. Is He not? He's still on His throne, and He'll still... The great white throne is as much of the truth of the Bible as the pearly gate of heaven is. Yes? And this morning, if the name is not in the Lamb's book of life, the lake of fire is the eternal destiny. Was I ever convinced I was actually, literally on my way? Were you ever convinced that when you breathed your last, you'd wake up in the flames of hell? Friend, if you've not been convinced of that yet, there's something wrong, because it's a truth. I'm not saying something wrong with God can't save you. I'm saying He's working to do so. See, what keeps you from that? Only Jesus Christ. The only thing that stands between me and the wrath of God is a person who already took the wrath of God for me, and that's Jesus Christ. See, what? I thought we were talking about service. We are because we're getting somewhere. Here's a servant that because of his poverty was purchased by a master. It's just his duty to serve. But thirdly, I want us to notice his discharge. Go back to Exodus 21. We've seen his dependence. He's a servant who's been bought. Uh, we see his, his duty, servants serve, but the duty was not to be perpetual. God said, I'm putting a time frame on this. You can only use your brother as a servant for six years. He will only operate on duty for a temporary time. I don't want a servant ha- feeling like, meaning God was not allowing the Hebrews to enslave one another. Enslavement says when you try to be free, I'm going to hang on to you. I will manipulate it somehow until you have to keep doing what I want. May I say this? If Jesus has anybody this morning who are slaves, it's because they've made themselves such, not because he made them such. The Apostle Paul would refer to himself as the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus never forced that on him. He willingly said, I will let you be my master till I die. There's only one thing would motivate such a decision. Only one. We'll see it in just a moment. His discharge. Look at Exodus 21, verse 2. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve thee, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Meaning the only thing that releases him is time. He has fulfilled his duty. You must let him go. He doesn't owe you a penny. He gave you six years of service. You're to let him go out free for nothing. Verse 3. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be uh, her masters and he shall go out by himself. And now if you would back over to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15 very quickly. If you don't want to turn there, I'll turn there and read it. Deuteronomy 15 again, verses 12 through 15 speaks of the law regarding this man's discharge. He is now discharged from his duty. He's fulfilled his duty. He's done his job. And so then, I I, I really want to emphasize, I believe serving through duty can only be a temporary thing. You can only serve so long saying, well, I have to, he bought me. I have to, I'm a servant. That'll work for a time. Duty might get you started, but there's something greater that keeps you in, in service to the master. Deuteronomy 15, verse 12. And if thy brother and Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman be sold unto thee and serve thee six years... Then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go for free. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Thou shalt give unto him and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. God says it's a law. You will not perpetually hold your brother in service to you. I want you to think about this for just a moment. You remember the the father and the prodigal sons in Luke chapter 15? When the younger son had grown up and he says, Father, give me what comes in my inheritance, he's really out of line. You're not supposed to get an inheritance until somebody's dead. But the father gave him his portion, didn't he? You reckon the father knew what he would do with it? Now, the father's a picture of God there. God won't make you serve him. Coming to church is not an arm-twisting session to try to get people to do something they don't want to do. You know what? You'll only serve Jesus Christ this morning if you want to. That's it. He doesn't lay shackles on anybody and drag you into His service. I remember before the Lord led us here and God called us to come here, and I remember right after we came here, I remember thinking if we had said no to the Lord, the Lord would have still sent somebody here, but I would have missed an opportunity to serve the Lord. God would take care of this. He'd, he'd call somebody else. He'd get somebody else. You would miss out. When we don't listen to the Lord and serve Him, you know what? He'll, you're free this morning. If you're saved, you're free. The Lord does not 
capture you. And you, you check this throughout Scripture. I find nowhere that anything constrains someone to serve the Lord other than something from within, not some constraint from without. Now, Satan will make you serve him whether you want to or not. He'll lay the shackle hold of sin on you through pleasure, and he'll lay that on you and keep it on you until you say, I want free. And he says, too bad. He, whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. People say, I'm free to do what I want. Are you free to do what he wants? That's the question. Well, I'm free to do whatever I please. I'm free to follow my impulses. Are you free to stop? Ask who you're serving, and if you're serving willingly or against your will. Paul declared clearly he was serving Jesus Christ. He said, it's been committed to me. It's my duty, but I'm not serving against my will. I'm serving willingly. And this morning, there's a discharge, meaning this. The Lord gives you freedom to choose whether or not you're going to serve him. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, the gods into the side of the flood, the God of the land of Canaan. But as for me and my house, we will, it was a decision made, serve the Lord. Now, in his discharge, notice a few things. He is to be discharged freely. I mentioned that already. He is to be discharged having been fully furnished. That's in Deuteronomy 15. He says, when you discharge your servant, you are to furnish him liberally, meaning don't starve him out and try to keep make him stay. I mentioned this the other evening. You remember Laban in the book of Genesis when it was time for Jacob to get a wife? He said, let's make a deal. You want, you want one of my daughters to wife? Let's make a deal. And Jacob said, oh, absolutely. He said, serve me seven years. By the way, they were kindred. It's a, a distant uncle and nephew. He said, all right, seven years, and I'll give you Rachel, and she'll be your wife. So he served seven years, and at the last minute, Laban swapped brides on him, and he got the ugly one instead of the pretty one. <laughs> well, it worked. Jacob knew he wanted Rachel bad enough. He said, if I give him Leah first, he'll work seven more just to get Rachel. And he snookered him into seven more years. And after that, he changed his wages. Meaning, when it's time for Jacob to go, his sons went out and stole all of Jacob's sheep and removed them. So he had nothing. You know what Laban was doing? He was keeping Jacob in slavery. I'm not going to let you go. I will use you and abuse you for my enrichment. May I say this? Jesus Christ will never, ever use you that way. It's not who he is. My father always said, Jesus Christ is the perfect gentleman. He'll knock on your door, but he will not barge in. You say, is there a Bible for that? Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 on down to about verse 20. In one of his own churches that he purchased with his own blood, he's standing at the door saying, may I please come in? To behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Wasn't that his door? Couldn't he come in? But he won't come in unless you let him. So it works. Our master, he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Can you imagine a marriage works like this? And there's something to do. If you try to leave me, I'll make your life miserable. You try to take off some other place, I'll flatten your tires, I'll ruin your engine, I'll pour sugar in your gas tank. Well, that'd be a loving relationship now, wouldn't it? I've tried to leave my husband three times, and every time I do, he blows the holes out of the, in the tires and busts my windshield. Oh, he's making me stay. Who wants to stay in something like that? There are people who have that idea about God. What's God trying to do with my life? If I were to let him have control, he'd probably kill me. No, sin will kill you. He'll give you life. Here's a man that's been serving six years under a master, and at the end of six years, this master regards the law, and he says, you know, you know, servant, you've been so good to me. You've served because of your labor. My fields and my barns have, have produced plentifully. My barns are full. My wine fats are full. And just to show appreciation for your service and your faithful duty, I'm going to enrich you. You are free to do whatever you want. You want to go north? Go north. You want to go south? Go south. Is there anything else I can do for you as you leave my service? You know why that law was written that way? So it would be very clear that the servant was actually free to go. There were no strings attached. Well, I'll let you go, but you're going to have just enough food to get you about a half a mile down the road, and then you're going to starve to death. Now, the master knows the servant's dependent upon him. So he says, I'm truly giving you freedom to go if you desire. So the discharge was to be discharged freely. No, No extra charge. You're free to go. He was to be furnished fully. And he was to be discharged fully without any reservation. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 18 says, It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years. And the Lord God thy, thy God shall bless thee in all thou doest. He's speaking to the master. He says, When he goes, you make sure that he knows that he is free to make a choice without you putting pressure on him to make him stay. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God 
that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. God doesn't say, you give me that body, you give me that body. We'll, we'll deal with a little bit more of this tonight. You give me that body or I'll punish you. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But God is not sitting over you, binding you into service if you don't want to serve him. You know what? God has enriched the lives of people and you sit back and say, why? Because he's good, not because they are. <laughs> yes? You ever wonder, why does that person get blessed? Because his sun rises on the just and the unjust, and rain falls on both, and God is good to everybody at some level. Is it not true? May I say this? Some people say, why would you serve God? May I say, why would you not? Why would you not? It's only a fool that charts their own course. You know, if you've charted your course along, you've wrecked your boat somewhere along the line. Now, you may patch it up and pretend you haven't, but you're lying to somebody if you say, I've never crashed my boat. Oh, Really? Well, I always do a good job of managing my life. You know what's worse than being blind? Being blind and thinking you see. <laughs> Here's a master and a servant, and the master says, you are free, you're discharged. I'll do nothing to try to keep you. Now, this is what it brings us to. So if he's fully discharging him, freely discharging him, loading him up and saying, you are truly free to go, what would keep? What would make the guy stay? Who wants somebody else running their life? In North Idaho, Nobody. Nobody will tell me what to do. Now, that can be good at times. There are certain people we don't need to let tell us what to do. But there's one person who has every right to tell us what to do. He purchased that right. But the amazing thing is the one who has the right to tell us what to do won't do it unless we yield to him. There's a difference in submission and being put in subjection. Submission means I willingly give my will into another. No one made me. I do it willingly. I know that they've got a will and I've got a will and I'm willing to let their will determine what I do. That's submission. Most professing believers today know very little of it. Very little. We know how to talk about it. We know how to speak of it. We know it's a verse in the Bible or two that speaks of it. But may I say this, submission to Christ and allowing Him to be the Master is a once forever decision. His discharge would be fully, because then what it does is it says there's only one thing that would keep you, not the will of the master, but the will of the servant. Now, let me move on to our fourth point here. We see his dependence, his duty, his discharge. Now, his decision comes, if you're in your sixth year, and the master says you're free to go. The question would be, well, am I free to stay? Fair enough, right? I mean, if that master has treated you well, Let's say he gave you a wife and, oh, he was so wise in giving you a wife. He knew exactly the kind of wife you needed and he chose a wife that was suited to you and you've had a few children together and you've got such a sweet and happy home and the master says, you know what, your time is up. The time for serving out of duty is over. He says, you're free to go. You don't have to work for me anymore. You can decide when you'll get up. You can decide when you'll go to bed. You can decide if you want to work barley or wheat or if you don't want to work at all. It's your choice. He says, boy, I think I want to go. That sounds good to me. He says, we sure go tell your wife and children goodbye. What? They're my wife and children. He said, but you remember they were given to you under my stewardship and my management. And the law says if you go and the master gave you wife and children, you got to leave the wife and children because you didn't get them on your own. They were given to you by the master. Now we're flipping the coin. Now you've got to realize you've got, in this decision, there's some reckoning to do. You've got to reckon, how did my master treat me? Has he treated me good or ill? May I say this? This is the most, this is most uh, I think, the most interesting part of this decision. What if he says, well, look, I'm not ready to make this choice. Can I procrastinate this for a few years? Law says six years. I can't make you stay a day longer. You're free. But here, How about this, Master? Can we, can we come up with a compromise? Can, can you give me three more years? You've got to make a choice. You're either going to stay and serve or you're going to go. Oh, this is hard. I love you, Master. You've been good to me, but (laughs) I like the idea of running my own life. Well, that's your choice. You're free to do that. May I say this? The decision is compulsory, meaning a decision has to be made. Hear me this morning. If you're saved, you say, I would rather not choose whether or not I'm going to let the Lord run my life. You have to. You have to choose whether you're going to or he's going to, but you cannot choose not to choose. Don't miss this this morning. I hope you're hearing me. Some say, well, I don't want to choose. I love the Lord. He saved me. He bought me with his blood. 
But there's still things he tells me to do that I don't like. And if I stay in service, I'm going to have to surrender to the things I don't like. And if I leave service, I can run my own life. And I would rather just kind of stay in limbo and serve him and me. You cannot. You cannot. You must choose. You must choose to either let the Lord Jesus Christ master and be master for how long? It's either forever or for not. One or the other. You notice in the law, it did not provide for another option between forever. It says, if the servant decides to stay, he must say, I love my master, I love my children, and I love serving, and I will now serve him, two words, forever. Some say, well, I'll try serving the Lord for a little time, and if it works out and I think it's doing well, then maybe I'll consider a few more years of service. No, it doesn't work that way. There comes a point in your Christian life where you have to decide, is your master worth serving forever? Now, if he's not, he wasn't worth serving in the first place. If he, listen, if Jesus Christ is not worth obeying, then he's not fit to save you. This makes sense this morning. But if he was good enough to save you by laying his own life down, Is he ever going to do you wrong? I want the young people, I want your attention. I want it close and I want you listening very closely. You're at a season in your life where Satan is whispering in your ear. If you surrender to Christ forever, there's some things you'll never get to do. You know what the danger of that little statement is? True. There are some things in my life I've never done because I made this decision at 16 years of age. Now forever for me may be 40 or 41, it may be 80 or 81. But the decision is done. I have one master. I don't want another. I don't want to serve the devil again. I don't want to serve my old rotten, stinking flesh again. And I don't want to serve this world again. They've all mistreated me and abused me. I've been serving Jesus Christ for better than 20 years now. And I can tell you, he's worth serving. Now listen to me, young people. you got a, you got an enemy whispering in your ear. If you serve God, you know what that means. You know how Jesus Christ wants you to live your life. You know the attitude that pleases Him. And you know, you know the character that He's wanting in you. And there are some things out there that might be enjoyable. And if you make this decision to serve Him forever, there are some things you'll never get to do. Are you sure that's what you want to do? The devil gets his say. You've got to make the choice. You know, who would come along and try to get this servant who's been treated so well by his master to say, Are you sure you want to serve this guy forever? You were to come over to my place, serve me for a while. Now, this guy here, he'll work you 8, 10, 12 hours a day. If you come to my place, we'll work two hours and play eight, and you'll get treated just as good. Does that sound familiar? Whoever whispers that in your ear is a liar. Yes? I'm trying to say this this morning. The decision is compulsory. You have to make it. You can make the choice, but you cannot choose not to choose. Christ bought you, you've got to decide whether or not you're going to recognize him as master forever. He won't make you. It's your choice. It's compulsory. I mean, you have to make a choice, but the choice that you make is up to you. All right, number two, it requires consideration. In Luke 14, Jesus said, What man building a tower doth not sit down first and consider the cost? So if I'm going to serve the Lord, may I say it's a healthy thing to say, what does it mean if I'm going to give my life to the Lord and yield my body as a living sacrifice and recognize that I'm going to serve Him forever. What does that mean? Well, that's good to consider. You know what else is good to consider? What will it mean if I decide not to? What's it going to mean if I decide that I'm going to run my life and He is not? What's that going to mean? You see, this man may say, I want my freedom, and I love, I love the ability of making my own choices more than I love my wife and my children. I know some men like that. They love their rebellion more than they love their Savior. Eh? Got to consider the cost. It's a decision that's compulsory. You have to make a choice whether to stay or go. It's a decision that requires consideration. It's a decision that rests on constraint, not restraint. Constraint, as we speak of it from the Bible, comes from within, out of one's heart, not out of the will of another. Meaning this, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says, if, the, if, we, if we be beside ourselves, it is unto God, and if we be sober, it is for your cause. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, binds me up. 
The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. We make this determination. If Christ died for all, then we're all dead. Then they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, meaning do whatever they please, but unto him which died for them. The right thing to do if Christ died for you is live for him. That's the right thing. Boy, this servant, I want you to go back there. He's been treated well by his master. His master has given him a, a house that is ample for his needs. He's put a roof over his head and made sure that he's treated well. Treat him like his own child. And freedom comes and the master says, Oh, servant, I love you. You've been so good to me and my family. We're so blessed. Here's some grain and here's some, here's some wine for your journey. And here's a, you know, we've even, we've reserved a donkey for you to take and make sure that all is well. And we want you to, to be happy and blessed and anything else to do to, to, to help you as you have your freedom. And that servant thinks, man, this master is like a father to me. I can't imagine not being in his service. And if I were to go out there, how would I know which way to go? I've never started a farm. I've never... All I know is service. And he's sitting there making this decision. He says, Master, I'm free to go. Am I free to stay? He's considering. The Master says, of course you're free to stay. The law says if you want to stay, you can. But you've got to count the cost. If you decide to stay, it's not another six-year stint. It's till you die. Now, are you sure you want to serve me till you die? I would never want to try to get you to do something you're not willing to do. The servant says, I cannot imagine anyone treating me better than you. And the master says, that's fine. But if you want to stay, there's some things you've got to do. And so the decision is compulsory and requires consideration. It's only constrained by love. In both texts, it says he must say, I love my master. A single motivation, only one, single motivation. And it requires confession. Exodus 21, verse 5 says this. And we'll wrap it up here in just a few moments. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. He's got to make a a decision, and then he's going to make that decision known. He said, I've made my choice. I love my master, and I am checking out my freedom, and I'm trading it for the opportunity to be part of his service. You know what he's saying is? Serving him is better than running my own life. May I say this, if you're here this morning and you've not come to that conclusion yet, with God's help I'll do everything in my power to get you there. Serving Jesus Christ is better than charting your own course. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Friends, there's a lot of times I'd ruin my life, my life already and the lives of my children and my wife if my Lord weren't looking out for me. If he didn't say, no, 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 son, don't go that way. Now, I already decided he's my master, so I've got to listen to him. Yes? The point is this this morning. You can chart your own course. You can determine your own destiny. You can chase your dreams. But he that trusteth his own heart is a fool. And so then there is a confession that's required, and it requires consecration. We've said it over and over. It's a once and for all forever decision. It's like marriage. It's uh, You're either in or you're out. You're either a servant of Christ or a servant of self. Finally, we come not only to the servant's dependence, his duty, his discharge, his decision, but his demonstration. The law requires that there must be a public yet a personal demonstration that this decision has been made. Now, I want to say this. I want to ask you, since you've been saved, can you go to a point where you can say, I made this choice. I realized I was free to go or free to stay and serve. And I made the choice. He is going to command my life. I'm not going to do it on my own. I believe this. If you don't have a distinct time where you remember yielding, not only and submitting to Christ for salvation, but submitting your will to serve, to say He's the Master, then that needs to take place. You've got a choice to make. You either must say, I'm going to obey the Bible because that's the Word of God, or I'm going to disregard it. We've created so much middle ground in between that. Well, I'm going to obey the parts of the Bible that I think are appealing and needful to me, and then there's parts I don't really like, and I'm going to ignore those. That's convenient, but it's wicked. If this is the Word of God, believe it and obey it. If it's not, deposit it in the nearest garbage can. Either be an atheist or be a Christian, but don't be, try to be something in between. That's Bible. Hot or cold. Because lukewarm, he can't tolerate you realize that principle is in place in the, in the principle of the servant and master? You either stay forever or go. 
You either acknowledge that I am worthy to serve and that you can trust me to take care of you or check out and run your own life. But there's no in-between ground. Now, thousands of years later, same, same truth is in place. When the servant decides, he says, you know, I'm going to stay. Number one, there must be a personal demonstration. We'll just spell it out for you here for just a moment. What he says is, I've decided I love my master. And he has to confess that. He has to say it openly. I have freedom. No one's making me stay. The only thing that makes me stay is I love my master. He has been so good to me, and I want to serve Him. I want to bless Him. I want to bring joy to Him. I want to see prosperity in His work because He has been so good to me, and I love what He's blessed me with, and I want to be faithful. And he says, okay, that's your decision. Let's come over here to the door. Well, an all is, and if you don't, it's a leather punch. It's a nice-looking tool. It's a sharp, almost ice-picky-looking thing. And they take you over to the door, the doorpost, and they take that all, and they go to the doorpost. <clears throat> Woo! Yay! <laughs> Now, here's the thing. That's a painful process. But the pain doesn't last. It doesn't kill you. And all through the ear will pierce you and mark you for life, but it won't kill you. Jesus' cross killed him. Our cross just identifies us. You with me this morning? May I say something? Dear A.W. Tozer, God used that man in a great way. He's used him in my life. He was preaching in the 1950s that American Christians want a crossless Christianity. And he was right. We want a Jesus that will deliver us from hell, make us healthy, wealthy, and wise while we're on earth, but will never cost us a friendship or anything else. Friend, it doesn't work that way. The man says, you know what? We're going to test that love of yours. You say you want to stay. Are you willing to forego a little bit of pain for a moment of time that will mark you until the day you die? There's a lot of people that won't obey Jesus because it puts a mark on them in the culture. Oh, you're one of those. I dare say there's some in this room. You know the mind of Christ. You know what he wants for you. But you're embarrassed at what people think of you if you obey him. This is where it's at, friend. This is where Christianity meets our lives. You know what he wants. You've read the Bible. You've heard the preaching. God has spoken to you and told you what the will of your master is. And the master's saying, I won't make you. You can do what you want. But if you're going to serve and serve me, it's forever. And there's a mark. When you go out in the marketplace and you're working for the master and some guy says, boy, you look like a healthy, strapping young man. The world lays eyes on you folks and say, I want you to serve. Oh, <laughs> you're probably not interested in serving me. I notice you got a mark in your ear. You belong to somebody else, don't you? You know what godly living does? It marks you. Living a life that's godly in Christ Jesus is, oh, you don't talk like us. You must belong to him. Now, why mark the ear? You might know. The Bible doesn't spell it out, but I can only think of this. If you're a servant and master relationship, what's the most important aspect of your relationship? When he speaks, you listen. He says, I want your ear marked as being mine. This morning, is your spiritual ear marked? You know what? You, I hate to compare us to cattle, but you get a cow, you, you, you put the tag in their ear, or you put a brand on their hip to show who they belong to. You know what? The world ought to look at us and say, that one's not up for sale. They've already been bought. Not bought with money, bought with love. Huh? How do we demonstrate our love for the Savior? If you love me, keep my commandments. And our obedience to Him tells the world we're not up for sale. We are already bought by somebody else. We already belong to somebody else. Paul called it this. He says, Henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Meaning Paul had literal scars on him because he was obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not ashamed of them. They identify me and let people know I am a servant of his. I'm not for sale. You know what the word marks? The Greek word for that is stigma. Listen to me this morning. There is a stigma to true Christianity. The world still thinks it stinks. And many times we say, well, I love my master, but I don't want people to go out and notice that I belong to him. You've got to choose. You have to choose. And if you're going to choose him, he's going to mark you. He's going to mark you. You're one of those. You're one of those fanatics. You're one of those wing nuts. You're one of, you name it. If they spoke ill of the master, they'll speak ill of us. Every time they do, you know what it reminds me? That's all right. If you feel about me like you feel about him, I must be on the right side of things. Yes? Amen. Now this morning, my question for you is, what choice have you made? I prefer not to make one. That's not on the table. 
You have to choose. You have to. And if you say, I'm not going to serve him and let him mark me, then you've chosen to leave him and do your own thing. Demas hath forsaken me, Paul said, having loved this present world. The demonstration is personal. Boy, that's something you, your ear is very personal. Painful, but it was public. It was supposed to be done in front of the judges where everybody could see. And it's pictorial, the fact that the master has our ear and we're just listening for his commands that we may obey. Now this morning, when did you make the decision to serve him forever? So, ah, 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 you have to. You may say, I'm not ready for that decision, but the Holy Spirit of God may be saying to you, you've been serving through duty. You've been doing it because you know it's the right thing to do. But will you let love constrain you? Can I ask you this morning, you think through your life, those of you who know you're saved, you think of every time you've obeyed the Lord Jesus, how has he treated you? How has he treated you? Now I want you to think about every time you've obeyed your lust, how that's treated you. And you tell me who you want to serve. All I'm saying is, I'm in the service of the king, and if I could help persuade you today while you make your decision, if you're pondering this choice and your six years are up, it's not measured in years today. It's when the Spirit of God says, you've got to choose. You're going to serve me forever or not. If you're standing there today, can I just say, I've been in his service for a bit, and I'm intending on staying. And can I persuade you, if you're, if you're hung up, you've got the enemy whispering in your ear, oh, come over here and serve me for a while. You'll find no better master than Jesus Christ. Maybe he's not bought you yet. Maybe you still belong to Satan. Maybe this morning you've not put your faith in what he did for you when he died for you. Maybe you've not put faith in him as the living Savior to save you. Can I encourage you? Let him buy you out of the slave market of sin. Let him purchase you. And just go ahead and make up your mind. You'll serve him.